Uh, welcome to another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. Uh, today we have, uh, kind of as I said before we came on screen, a, a really special guest, um, Coach Bud Foster. Uh, Coach, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Nick. How are you? I, I'm doing fantastic. Um, I appreciate you coming on, Coach. Um, and I'm going to kind of just get right into it for a variety of sections of stuff I got for you. Um, but, I mean... I'll go go first into some off the field stuff. Um, kind of culture, like what were the? I mean, you had a, a fantastic defense for years. What were kind of the keys to creating the culture you wanted on defense? You know, that's a good question. When I became the coordinator, uh, we really had just going to back to back bowl games in '93 and '94, and I became the I had the title of co coordinator '95. And then 96, it became sold. But I was, I called, I ran the shots in 95 as well and all that. So really the last 25 years I was coordinator. But really when we, when our staff was formed, when I became the coordinator, uh, we always talked about, you know, a blue collar mentality coming to work every day. And the one thing that I wanted was let's create an identity. Let's create something for our team that we feel like in our unit, that's going to separate us from our opponent. That's where we created the lunch pail. I think that's really where the culture started is with that. And, you know, that thing signifies so much. I mean, the, the people that uh, don't know, you know, we, we've had that thing. It's for 25 years that I was a coordinator. It was always ESPN wanting to know who was, <laughs> who was going to carry the lunch pail, what's in the lunch pail, you know, all those different things. But, you know, when we started, um, when we started with, with my tenure there, you know, I want to do something that was going to separate us from, like I said, from our opponent. And that was either and number one, the thing that we felt like we had to do, we weren't a five, getting about a, a bunch of five-star recruits or four-star. We were getting a bunch of good, hard-nosed, um, tough kids, but there were good football players, uh, but really had to be achievers. And, uh, you know, in the only way that we could, Feel like we wanted to get to the level that we wanted to is we we're gonna to have to outwork, out prepare, uh, out discipline, um, be more committed, be more loyal, more responsible, more trustworthy. Those are the things that um, you know really kind of what the lunch pail embodies, and um, and that was something that the kids really bought into. And uh, you know, if you were the keeper of the pail, you know, and we you were that was kind of the highest honor you could have at Virginia Tech, but. What we did, we evaluated our guys every day. I mean, that's what we're in. I mean, the X's and O's are great. You know, we as coaches sometimes screw the game up by <laughs> trying to be too cute, and, and all of a sudden, our you know our players are we're tying their mind up, and you know, and tying their feet up with their mind. You know, but uh, you. But what we really wanted to do was establish a work ethic, and um, you know, and a, a peer pressure, so to speak, that um, was second to none, and. Our guys really bought into that. You know, we practiced like we played, and that was the thing. But we evaluated guys every day. We gave uh, the player of the day the lunch pail, um, you know, and that we wanted that to change daily. Uh, as it moved on, then, uh, you know, we gave it to, like, uh, in in the spring. We, that's what we did in spring ball. Then and during the summer, after visiting with the strength staff, our academic people, um, you know, our, our training staff, um, we kind of, I gave it to a guy to start fall camp and he was kind of maybe who would be our leader of our defense. Primarily it was going to be a senior. Usually it was, there was a couple of times we've had 
underclassmen. Um, but you know, then we evaluated guys every day with that too. But that guy was, we, that was kind of a big honor to get that. Then as the season goes along, then the player of the game, uh, would get the lunch bail and he'd be responsible to take it to practice. Um, you know, take it to, if we're playing a game, I mean, on the road, he's, you know, he's responsible for that, but it just established a work ethic and a, an expectation. And I really didn't expect it to turn into a brand, but it did. And, uh, but that's what, who we were and everybody identified that with us. And they knew that every time we stepped on the field, that we were going to, they were going to get our best effort and they were going to see a, a hard nosed, tough, disciplined, well-prepared, uh, unit that was going to go out and lay it on the line for that's and and that's kind of what that whole thing established and then after that it kind of snowballed and and then the guys you know started holding you know when you start getting uh, your best players uh, holding other people accountable um, you know they were your hardest workers they that's what you wanted you're getting your best players the most talented guys uh, to be your hardest workers and then that just took a you know guys that were, you know, talented, but, you know, we were a developmental program and, you know, the young guys could see those older guys, the, the hard work and the commitment and the grit and the determination they had. And that just kind of snowballed and, and created something really, really special here that, you know, uh, after a while, I didn't have to do a whole lot with it. I mean, that was just kind of hold it up at times and like, Hey, this is what it's all about. But you know, what we did over time too is, uh, we varied it with different things. When I first started out, you know, we, we put in individual goals. Uh, we put in unit goals and we put in team goals. Um, you know, and those guys, then we have always had a mission state and I had those guys sign off on, it, you know, and if they didn't want to sign off on it, great, then transfer, you know, because this is how <laughs> we were going to do things. Yeah. But that's, but that's, you know, I mean, and I really tried it. It wasn't what coach Foster demanded, to be successful, that's what the game demanded to be successful. And, and that's really kind of what we, you know, what we really worked on and worked hard and had the expectations. And, you know, if you want to be a championship caliber uh, team, a cha championship caliber unit, championship caliber player, you know, you have to perform, you have to be, you know, you have certain responsibilities and accountabilities uh, to be that guy. You know, and, um, and I think that's what that whole thing was about, the lunch pail. And, and that's really kind of set the standard for us. And then it just, like I said, it became the norm, became the standard, became the expectation. And, and um, you know, we kind of created a monster right here. Everybody all of a sudden started thinking we go out and shut people out all the time and, you know, and hold them to 10 points or less. And as you know, it's harder and harder to do, uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of offense out there and, and a lot of explosive athletes. And but it. Um, you know, half the battle is playing hard and, and, and laying it on the line for 60 minutes. And that was one thing that we were able to do. And I think that's the one thing, you know, I, I had the opportunity to speak at a lot of clinics over the years and, and speak to a lot of coaches. And probably the biggest compliment I got was, man, your kids play so hard for you. But it goes back to those principles of the lunch pail. But more importantly about the lunch pail, you know, I talked about loyalty and trust. Those were things that, I think, um, you know, are earned and are given. And I think when you have players that believe in you, trust you, 
know that you have your their their best interest at heart, uh, they will become loyal and they will run through the wall for you. And that's really kind of what we created it was something really really special from a relationship standpoint. Uh, you know, we we all had coaches that you know played as well and played in good programs and had a lot of success, but knew how we we weren't a bunch of uh, star recruits when we were playing. We were a bunch of you know hard nosed tough guys ourselves. And I think that just kind of, you know, set the standard and, and, uh, but that's, that's really the foundation of what we were all about defensively is, you know, starts with that lunch pail and that mindset of, you know, coming to work every day and we were going to outwork and out prepare everybody to be more disciplined and, and care more for one another than, than anybody else. And that was kind of established the foundation for us. Now, now building off that, um, for, from a staff standpoint, what do you think make great qualities, not only for a defensive coordinator, which you served for the good portion of the extent of your career, but also from the people that worked underneath you as position coaches on your defense? You know, I think, number one, uh, as a coordinator sometimes, and particularly when you start getting younger coaches, um, you know, you've got you to be able to coach the coaches a little bit too, and, and they need to know what your expectations are and how you want things done. I think the one thing that, you know, that this game is hard enough and there's a lot of testosterone in this business. Um, and it was all cultivated by Coach Beamer. We didn't have any egos on our staff. And that's one thing that I would recommend. It's hard enough when your your livelihood depends on, you know, at our level, 17 to 22-year-olds. At your level, you're talking about anywhere from 13 to 17, 18-year-olds. You know, those guys, sometimes they don't know if they're coming and going in the same day, you know, or within the same hour. But, um, you know, I think there's a um, – you have to have a form of – number one, you got to be personable. you got to care. I think that's the first and foremost thing. You've got to care um, in a lot of ways. you got to care about your, your job, your profession. Um, you know, you've got to come to work every day with a mindset that, and I wanted guys to come in and, and I wanted them to think like coordinators. I really did. I wanted them to kind of think that mindset uh, and present things to me. Now I would, you know, with through experience, you know, I would, and I had the final say, but you know, I'd want them to be able to present why and have a, you know, think that out. But I wanted that. I wanted to encourage that. I was not a guy that, um, you know, we communicated really, really well. And that's kind of one of our six keys success, you know, in our, in our program. Number one is, is great communication. And, but I think that's a big, big part of it. You know, we're all in it together. Each of us has certain strengths and uh, you know, number one, you're brought in usually because of your personality and your ability to, to coach, recruit, communicate, uh, you know, those type of things. But then, uh, you know, we're all in it together. There's no reason in my opinion, you know, there's going to be discussions. You're not always going to agree, but you're always going to have respect for one another. And that's kind of, that would be the first thing I'd want to care, respect. And then that filters down to your players. You know, I really do see that if your coaches are, you know, those guys identify if guys are have egos, if guys are not getting along, um, if there's a little bit of strain in the relationships, you know, that you can see that kids see that. And that's the one thing we never had here. You know, I was, I was fortunate to work for one of the best guys ever in the business and Frank Beamer. We, mo majority of our staff stayed together because he created a culture of a staff culture like that. We did a lot of things together off the field uh, with our families and, and, you know, we encouraged that. And 
we also did that with our players. You know, we, you know, that was one thing we have always had a saying here that this is home and we really wanted to treat it that way, you know, and, and starting from the top, whether it was from the head coach or from the coordinators or from the coaches on down to, you know, everybody in, in, in the program. But uh, um, I think just with coaches and, and even today, almost, and that's probably where towards the end of my tenure, I didn't have it, but you almost have to have a little bit of patience. You know, I, I do think kids uh, want to be coached. They want to be coached hard. They want to have discipline in their lives. Um, sometimes that come doesn't come as quick as you'd like it to. And I think sometimes having the patience uh, and, uh, you know, uh, to be in the poise to be able to deal with kids on a day-to-day basis, you know, and there are, and there's so many of them. Each one of them is different. Their personalities are all different. And, and that's the one thing is being open in your communication, but also showing that you care, uh, I think goes a big, big part of, of uh, those kids believing in you, trusting you. And that goes back to that loyalty and trust. I think if they, they feel you'll have their best interests at heart, then, um, you know, I think you can get a lot of good things out of that. But you got to be open in your communication with it, too. Now, you, you kind of mentioned Coach Beamer there. I mean, and I'm going to kind of build off that. Who are your, throughout your career, your biggest influences and mentors? And then how often would you kind of reach out to them, whether they were on staff or on another staff? Well, you know, I've had a lot of coaches over the years that uh, were influ- influenced me. I was very fortunate. I had some great high school coaches. Um, I played I played baseball, basketball, and football in high school. And uh, my coaches were all outstanding coaches, very disciplined, very uh, detail-oriented, um, very technique and fundamental driven. My whole career has been that way. But the guys that made an impact on me were my high school coach. I had two basketball coaches in my time, uh, and Lauren Wallace was one. He's uh, in the Illinois Hall of Fame, um, and uh, Roger Kraft, outstanding guys, just, you know, great, great men, but uh, really got the best out of My high school football coach, Bill Bangle, was, and we still stay in touch. You know, he retired towards, uh, I guess I still had about several seasons left, but he came out usually to a game every year, um, you know, and, and just had, a, I, I kept in touch with those guys, but those guys as a young person made a big impact on me. I had, I was fortunate. I had a great family. Uh, you know, my parents were very supportive, uh, but coaches had, I, I was a gym rat. Always my, my parents got me involved in athletics uh, back when I can remember starting little league baseball and all that kind of stuff, you know, but, uh, um, but I, but coaches were always, I just, didn't want to disappoint them. And those guys had a great way about them going back to the communication. I think that's where it all starts. You know, they were great teachers. They were great communicators. Um, You know, they really just had a good way about them. Then when I went into college, you know, probably the guy that I mean, and still to this day, the guy that I had has had the biggest impact on me is Frank Beamer. I mean, if we would have ever won a national championship, we played for one and, you know, we played in, I think seven, um, seven or eight uh, BCS games at the time. Uh, I think it was eight. We played in eight BCS games, which nowadays would be the playoffs, obviously. Yeah. And I would have liked to have seen what we could have done in the playoff scenario. There was a couple years we were really, really good and playing our best football at the end. But uh, um, but he was a big, had a big, big impact on me in so many ways. But going back to him, if we would ever won a championship, he would have been put at the top of the totem pole 
just because of how he treated people, how ethical he was, all those guys. And that's what he's known for in the industry. Obviously, he's known for, you know, we had Beamer Ball, which was playing great special teams, great defense, you know, being able to score in all aspects of our offense, defense, and special teams. You know, he was an innovator on on particularly special teams. And, and then he was a, my defensive coordinator when I was in college at Murray State. But he had a big, big impact on me and just how he helped handle people. He was a tremendous football IQ. But more importantly, he was probably at his best when things were at their worst sometimes, you know. And that's that's I think that's a sign of some, you know, of guys that look at the big picture and 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 don't get caught up in the moment. And, you know, you can, but you know, also have enough experience of how to get through that moment, whether it's good or bad, you know, how to go to the next play. And, and you know, I learned a lot through him. But, you know, on our first staff, we had Ralph Regent was our uh, at Murray State, Ralph Regent, who was, you know, was a, you know, um, tremendous football coach, Broyles Award winner. Um, he was our offensive coordinator. And uh, I learned a lot of football from Ralph. Mike O'Kane was who went on to be the head coach at NC State. Uh, was our, our quarterbacks coach, um, uh, Mike Clark, who's the head coach of Bridgewater College here in, in Virginia. Um, you know, he is, uh, he's a guy that I have the utmost respect for. Ron Zook was my position coach. You know, Ron was at Florida and then at Illinois, and, and Ron had a big impact on me. Uh, there was a guy, Phil Elmation, who I took over after uh, him as the coordinator. Phil was our coordinator from to um, 93 and 94 and then I became the coordinator in 95 but uh great football coach great mindset you know those were guys on the staff that really um you know had a big impact guys that I looked up to though Mickey Andrews at Florida State was a guy that um I really if I could I felt like if I could ever be mentioned in the same breath as Mickey Andrews you know, that would, my career would mean something, you know, and, uh, but he's a guy that, you know, I also had a chance to visit with over the years at different times. Kevin Steele's a good friend of mine and, and we've shared a lot of ideas. Jim Heacock, like I said, is another guy, you know, we did a lot of things, um, you know, over the years, um, Jim Lambright, before he became the head coach at Washington, you know, we, we actually, we went and visited them and brought their defense to the, to the East coast, you know, and that's kind of the, when we started this thing with the old up G package, you know, he's a guy that, um, you know, I had so much respect for him and, and, uh, um, Oh, um, I'm just had a brain fart here a little bit, but, uh, Oh, coach Hart, there was a D line coach forever. Um, but anyway, those are some guys that, uh, you know, I really looked up to and, and talked with a lot as we got here more recently, Brent Venables and I became really good friends and would communicate quite a bit with one another. Uh, you know, he would call me and, you know, how, what, what was I doing? And then vice versa, you know, we would, we would get together and, uh, but, um, you know, those are just a few guys that, uh, you know, had a big impact on my life. And probably the biggest ones were, to be honest with you, I learned my work ethic probably from my high school coaches from yeah. a standpoint, I was not a, I mean, I was a talented guy, but not like, you know, they are now. And I had to, I had to play because of my, my, almost my grit and stick to itiveness. You know, I had to, I, I had to be smarter, tougher. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't waste steps and all those kind of things. And I was fortunate 
as a as a young man to be able to play with coaches that that's how they coached you know they were very technique and fundamentally sound and that's why we were successful because we were a small school and we beat you know a lot of bigger schools just because you know we were we were more disciplined you know all the way around that's kind of how our teams were I think at Virginia Tech. Coach I, I want to swing into kind of and we talked a little bit about this before we came on about some off the field stuff you did because that that is what when I talk to coaches that's kind of what interests me readily. The first thing I want to ask you about is what I mean. What was your focus or first things that you immediately went to when scouting somebody? You know, I always with all the modern technology they do now. You know, for me as a writer, um, I was going to get all that information. You know, we broke it down, and I had different guys in the staff were responsible for different areas. I really. You know, we had a, our GAs and our QC guys. They would break the games down uh, computer-wise. You know, and that way you get all your analytics and your data and all those tendencies and things like that. But I like to break down two or three games myself by hand. I still did that, and you know, I wrote, drew every play. Up. For me, it was a way to, if I write things down, I remember them a little bit more. But I, I also got, it gave me a mindset maybe of the coordinator a little bit. And, um, you know, and you could get a feel for, uh, you know, their plays, his play calling. And then that, that's something that I would, you know, do throughout the week, would cross over with the, with the, uh, the computer breakdown. Uh, but, you know, I really broke the, you know, we broke the games down uh, and, you know, we broke those down. I broke the game down and the guys broke individual parts down, like their secondary coach did passing game and two minute off, you know, two minute offense passing game. Or um, we had one coach that he really uh, looked at outside runs and screens. And we had another uh, coach that looked at more like the um, inside running game and short yard, you know, short yardage and goal line stuff, you know. And I always had an understanding of the whole thing, but I really like to break the game down myself just as a complete game. And uh, and then after that, when we would watch our film, um, we would break it down. Now we're getting so many different personnel groupings. You know, the college football is gotten to be a lot like the NFL. It's, you know, it's a lot of um, matchups. It's a lot of personnel groupings. I know high school, maybe not be as much, but you get a lot of different formations and different things of that nature. But, you know, we really broke it down then by personnel and then by formation, because all of a sudden you start getting tendencies, um, you know, with those teams by those personnel groupings and with those you know, what plays they're running out of certain formations. And that's only maybe a certain group of plays they run out of a certain personnel grouping. And then that's what we want to, you know, do that with our kids, you know, is how we, when we install, we would install a game plan, you know, on day one for the whole week. We really took um, Tuesday as being a first and second down day and um, run play action pass. Um, and then we would take Wednesday because we, Monday was our, um, off day and so it was a big film study day and then um, Wednesday would be more of a third and three or more you know and we usually either do goal line at the end of uh, of the uh, 
uh, Wednesday practice and the end of Tuesday. It just kind of depend on what our time was and that type of thing. But uh, but that's how we you know we really installed our game plan. So the kids understood a little bit more. We really zeroed in on personnel groupings, formations, and the plays that they run. So we wanted to get to the point where we, we wanted to play anticipative defense as much as we wanted to play reacting defense. You know what I mean? And that means getting our kids to understand that, hey, if they're going to line up in, you know, a two-by-two two gun week, they're only going to run to the tight end side. They're only going to run this these so many plays, and this is all they're going to run to the two-man service. You know, is where they're going to run to the three-man service. You know, so – those are things, and we, then we can once the kids know that, then you can kind of build that plan and know what our certain calls are going to be with certain personnel groupings as opposed to other personnel groupings. And so you, we kind of build it that way and not overload them. And just uh, and then on Thursday, would we would really put all that together and do our you know have our our script day. And I was really expecting us to go out and perform. We'd have about a thirty-six play script, and I'd want us to go out there and perform like we're going to on on Saturday. But that's kind of how we we built our plan and how we looked at the looked at film. And obviously, for me, uh, along the way, I'm looking at the uh, at the scatter report. The um, from the scouting report would be our computer breakdown. So I always broke out on my game plan. It was first and ten to start a drive and first and 10 within a drive, you know, and that was one thing because you would find out there you get teams they are going to run their nakeds or waggles or play action passes or certain screens on certain down and distance. So those are things that you by calls, if I wanted to bring edge pressure, you know, those are things you start feeling tendencies if they haven't brought it, you know, or brand a naked and they're a big naked team, you know, on, on first and 10 within, I may bring, uh, you know, a blitz off the edge on the first first and 10 within just to, because of tendencies. And so a lot of that's gut feeling still too. But, you know, those are, but I, I break my down. It'd be first and 10 to start a drive, first and 10 within. I always had second 11 or more, uh, second and seven to 10 and second to six or less. Second and six or less and first and 10 to me were probably the same calls. Okay. And then really on third down is where we wanted to break down um, from where was our, we were cutting off some of our pressure package a little bit, you know, and that's uh, like third and three or more. When was all pass, you know what I mean? And, and you get some guys at our level, hey, that they're going to be pro mentality, third and three or more, you're going to be 90% throwing the ball or more, you know? And so those are just things that we really want to know. And then we want to educate that to our kids so we can play anticipating ball based again on down and distance situation, um, personnel groupings, all those kind of things. And but that's kind of how we broke down our film study. But then that's how we then we went towards the, the week to present it. And that way we weren't throwing too much at them. We were able to dial in on like for us, for example, I would emphasize 22 personnel, 21 personnel, and 12 personnel primarily on Tuesdays, you know what I mean? And then be more 11 personnel and 10 personnel, you know, spread type one back stuff on um, on Wednesdays and then try to put it all together, you know what I mean? And that's so that way we can kind of just split up our, you know, our game plan a little bit and, and our guys can understand the look. And, you know, you might get a team that doesn't do any 21 or 20, you know, but 12 is the new 21. And if it's just a team that's all 11 personnel, then some 10 or spread, then, you know, that's really kind of what we focus on. But still, we're going to still emphasize first and second down, 
and then third down, you know, on and, and goal line in there on, on those really are two busy work days on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Now, you mentioned some stuff there, and I want to kind of build off it real quick because, you, you, I mean, you hit a lot of game planning and in there as well. How much did, when, when you were breaking down your opponent and building your game plan, did you adjust your blitzes based off the pass pro you were seeing? And how much did, did some of that cause you to uh, change some alignment roles or alignment adjustments to alter their blocking roles? Yeah, well, that's something all the time. You know, we were – we were known as a pressure package, you know, and a pressure pressure unit. And in my tech, we led the country in sacks and interceptions, you know, and uh, rush meant good coverage and good coverage meant good rush, you know, but, uh, uh, and that's the one thing I really try to do is be very versatile and very, um, uh, um, you know, on, on the back end, but also very versatile with our, our pressure packages and stuff. And I, and I, 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 you know, that was the one thing that we really, I learned from a guy, another guy I learned offense from was a guy by the name of Gary Tranquil. Tranka, uh, uh, was it, um, on George Welsh's staff for a long time at Navy and, and at Virginia. Um, he was the head coach at Navy. He was an offensive coordinator, you know, with the Cleveland Browns there for a stretch. He came with us and really a great football coach, but, he sat down with me as a young coach. This is even before I, this was like in 93 and uh, 94. You know, he sat down with me and really talked about protections. And and really, that's the one thing that we spent. That's really probably what I did more than anything, even while I'm looking and when I was breaking down the film, was really studying protections. You know what I mean? And and personnel, because, you know, who's, who's the weak link or what are people's doing? And that, but the big thing was, was protections and they each one's a little bit different uh, from week to week. There's different philosophies. Some are man schemes. Some are going to try to get five out and have hot throws. Some are going to be more of a slide protection unit. So that varies. That's something that we look at and then we build our package from that. Now I still have my core blitzes that I'll carry in every game, run and pass wise. But I do that because those are simple and I know our scheme that if a team is starting to change during even the, if they are doing, and that's what would happen against us because we were pressure team, we would get a different look maybe from them that we didn't see in maybe previous games that we broke down. And so that's where you earn your check is making those adjustments. And I felt like maybe that's what we were known for as well as anybody was, you know, making adjustments and, you know, from a defensive standpoint. And, but that was a big part of it is, is, is protections and, you know, seeing what's going on at, at the game. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to, as a coach, excuse me, to, to watch the ball and that, but you really got to zero in on like, I would like to like look at the front and just kind of see things real quick before I looked, you know, down the field. That's something you train your eyes and that type of thing. But that's a big, big part of what we would do is, and I would do particularly and myself and our D line coach is really spend a lot of time looking at our at protections and, you know, what are, you know, and, and like I said, we can bring them from all angles from the field, from the boundary of the pipe. You know, we were known for that and we would go in each game with a, a, our core and then we would build some off of that. Some always something a little bit unique, maybe something a little different. Um, but it, uh, you know, it was just because based off what they were trying to give us 
you know, uh, that type of thing. And, and nowadays teams have gotten to the point, you know, back in, you know, when I first became the coordinator, you could probably blitz and, and they're going to turn people loose. And you don't do that. The people don't do that as much, or at least their quarterbacks are trained a little bit better to get rid of the football. if They're getting pressure, you know, and, and, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm just hoping we can, you know, you can turn a guy loose. That, that's awesome. But, you know, it doesn't happen that often, but we're hoping we can win some one, get some one-on-one battles. And then we're going to really coach hard on, you know, pass rush techniques, whether it's our D linemen, whether it's our, whoever, even our blitzers, you know, we really work hard on, on pass rush fundamentals and techniques and things of that nature. But, uh, um, but that's probably the biggest thing that we really study more than anything is going to be probably two minute offense. And then, um, you know, in the passing game, that doesn't change a whole lot, but then more protections is so we can, you know, I want to be able to get after that quarterback. Cause as we know, if you get, a, if you can get in the quarterback's head and you get him moving his feet or whatnot, that can, that can make the game a lot more enjoyable from your end of it. Now, now building off that, you you obviously mentioned your pressures there. Um, how much did your game planning slash play calling adjust when you on like a third down situation or a obvious passing down when there was a mobile quarterback who could take off if he needed to? Yeah, that was always a concern for me. Uh, you know, was having um, a quarterback that can create a play or. You know, you just, it really you, – you get in certain teams that, you know, if you're playing a pro-style quarterback, you might play some a little bit more man or man under or do some things like that. But playing a mobile quarterback, you know, you can play some man or some things, but you also have to – you know, everybody says you have a spy and all those things, and, and we've done that, but I'm going to do it with a linebacker. I'm not really going to do it with the defensive lineman. If we're blitzing linebackers, a lot of times we're going to do false blitzes. To maybe it's like we're showing six man, but it's really a four or five man pressure, and we'll have you know an, an end cop out or you know somebody athletic that can you know and and we will talk it about with an athletic quarterback about you know creating a um, you know a box you know there were a triangle type deal that we got to keep him keep him into you know that. I didn't want him to be able to step up and, and then, you know, we really coached hard about our ends and run around the quarterback to create lanes and things of that nature. Uh, but yeah, obviously to have a quarterback that can run and, and, and make things happen. You see that in the NFL right now, you know, those guys that are mobile and can keep drives alive with their feet, as well as they can still continue to look down the field because all of a sudden somebody comes off of, you know, out of coverage or whatnot, then they'll hit a guy. And, and, um, but that's, that's what's created things really made things a lot more difficult, you know, because those guys have become more talented. Obviously they're playing a lot more in space, but, uh, to me, um, and you're seeing that all over, I mean, Alabama and, and Ohio state, they've got, you know, the, the best, uh, you know, in the business as far as uh, at the college level. Uh, but you still see teams that have athletic quarterbacks, you know, give those guys fits because they can keep drives alive. They can make plays. And, and that's, you know, we really want to keep the pocket compressed. We want to try to keep them off the perimeter if we can, um, you know, but that's the biggest thing with those guys is not allowing them to step up and then get out in space to be able to have vision to throw the football or run, you know, so we want to really try to, uh, you know, constrict their, 
uh, you know, the box on them and, and, and keep them in there tight, not run by and create lanes and seams, uh, you know, in the pocket. You, you mentioned coverage there. And one of my buddies wanted me to ask you is how did you teach disguising coverages to your kids? Was it kind of like an auto check each week to know how to do this? Was there a certain verbiage? Was it a different, completely different coverage call? How did you teach that to your kids in terms of in your, within your system? Yeah, you know, there's different philosophies. Um, you know, we always, back in the old days, we always had what we called up G, and we always wanted to sell pressure. And then we just, we really buy the term up, or as I, we moved on to a little bit more 4-3 scheme. We went from an eight-man front to a little bit more 4-3. Oh, the last, you know, oh, she's probably uh, 16, 17 years of, of my, my career as a coordinator. Um, you know, we, we call a bluff now. And that really, that, that's the term that creates the mechanism of a pressure look. We want to disguise look, that type of thing. Um, you know, we really didn't, you know, on the back end, that was just something that we always really just talked about. We didn't really give a term other than if I called a bluff, I wanted to sell that we were showing like zero coverage. You know, that's what I wanted to, that we were bringing, we didn't know where we were coming from. We had that mindset. We had DBs walking down, but you couldn't get beat by your lineman. Now, you know, you had to bail out of there and do things that, you know, uh, and, and, and not get beat by your lineman. But, um, but on the back end with our coverage, we were kind of known for our robber coverage and, and changing things up quite a bit. So our back end really, they were, you know, those really were, were, we became more of a four, two, five than we were a four, three, but, um, you know, those four or five guys back there, they really worked together on disguising and moving off of each other. Like our corners, you know, we were, we were either man deep third, or we were playing those inverted halves because we played that robber coverage, you know? And so giving them a starting point, and then they could either, you know, back out of there or disguise, you know, our safeties worked off of our, our nickel or our whip linebacker and off of our backer, particularly, you know, if teams are getting into four wides and stuff. So we, those, they kind of worked off of each other. We really coached up how we wanted their movements to be. And that was, I'm hoping as guys became experienced, they just did it on their own, but that's something that we, we addressed in our meetings as a staff. And then what we presented to our guys, but anytime they heard the term bluff, you know, yeah. for us, that was, we were selling that. Now we have ways we can call what we call bogey. Bogey shows that we're going to show pressure from one side and bring it from another, you know, we're, there's other terms in there that, uh, that we use to set things up. I mean, with, we had the ability to, also with our protections that of teams where they felt like we were bringing pressure and all of a sudden they checked their protection, you know, towards where our pressure was, we had the ability to roll it and come from the other side. But those are things that, you know, you, you build in and you start from early teaching, you know, when you're installing. So that becomes the norm. And a lot of that goes back to the kids because they hear the quarterback and I give those kids, we, you know, we, that's where it comes back into, the kids knowing their position so well, you kind of become coaches on the field. And then you all of a sudden you're playing anticipating football as opposed to reactive. And then as a coach, you can start talking to them about, okay, what's the checks, 
and those kind of things. So when they can come off to the sideline and they, you know, the kids know that, what was the, what was he saying? Sometimes it's hard with crowd noise, uh, but that's going beautifully, you know, probably it's easier when we're on the road because the crowd noise is not as bad when we're on the field at home. The crowd noise is, <laughs> you know, is outstanding yeah. and hard to hear. Um, but, uh, but those are things that, you know, we really, you know, we're, we're able to do and, and disguise and how we, how we would term to, uh, you know, be able to do that. Um, I, I got, I got two more before we get to some rapid fire questions. Um, the, the, the first, um, is, and, and this is kind of always been, there's a lot of ways you can answer this, but how did you formulate an efficient call sheet for game day? Cause I mean, there's, you know, eight, like, there's 8 billion different ways you can do it. And I've had over the years between, between being a special teams coordinator and a defense coordinator, then to be different sizes, different looks, what you're looking for. Everybody's a little different. So how did you formulate yeah. that to be efficient for you? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. Like I said, I had on my call sheet, I had it down. Like I said, I had first and 10 to start, first and 10 within. Um, I had second and 11 or more, second and seven to 10, second and six or less. On third down, it was third and 11 or more, third and seven to 10, third and three to six, and then third and two or less. Then I had like fourth down calls. I had uh, two minute calls. Uh, and then I had like our, uh, red zone and goal line, you know, calls. And really what I did in my scenario, I always broke it down then by personnel groupings. And so I had, if it was, you had a team, let's say they were 21 there. Well, they didn't play the 12 personnel has become the new one. Not many people have a, a true tight end. I mean, excuse me, a fullback. It becomes, it's a tight end yeah. and, uh, or multiple tight ends, you know? And, uh, so that's, but that's the new 21 personnel. You're going to get a lot of different looks. You get one back, you get spread, that type of deal. But uh, we really, you know, I would build, a, I'd have personnel groupings and kind of I would zero in on what their tendencies were and then what my calls would be. You know, and obviously you have your base calls and that type of thing, but then I'd also have, you know, you see what their tendencies are and that's kind of how you create some of your run, your run pressures. As far as some of your, your past pressures, as far as what they are on, on first and or second down for their, you know, play action passes, you know, or, or off their, off of that. Now you get RPOs and all that's a whole nother deal, but you know, that's, but that's kind of how we, I would zero in on that. And, you know, I would have it by, uh, and percentages of what's the percentage on first and 10 to start a drive. What's their run pass percentage, same with first and 10 within kind of zero in on that you know my biggest night to tell you the truth i would be in the office um until two or three o'clock in the morning on wednesdays that was my full day because i went back on wednesdays and i really looked at the passing game and the and the um and the protections again really in detail by myself the staff would leave i'd lock myself and that's when i do up my game plan and I do it during the course of the week, some, but Thursday, Wednesday night was my day to finish that third down. And I really looked at that. When, when was man pressures? When was zone pressures? Uh, when are they doing or were they trying to do rub routes? And when are you better off to show bluff maybe and be in coverage? Those kind of things. Um, but I really zeroed in on that. And I'd go back and look at all the third down calls. Now, let me say this. We have the ability to break down all their games. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to break down 
about four games, to be honest with you, and, and uh, maybe their most recent. Uh, we were always in there if we, you know, played them in the past, not necessarily as a breakdown, but as a, uh, and I could watch the film. You know, we might not put them in the computer breakdown, but, you know, they'd always be on the film so we could look at what they did against us. But that's really kind of how I zeroed in on that. Now, game day, because I was on the field, and in my pocket, I had those, I had a, like a card, and I had it for first and second half, but I had first and 10 to start, first and 10 within all those situations. And then I had my, uh, one of my guys upstairs who was writing, was doing the play chart. And yeah. he would, you know, he was always doing that. And then after every series, then I would say, hey, what did we get? And so he would tell me formation, personnel grouping, you know, what was the play? So then I would write that down in between series. Like I said, for me, writing it down, I remember things. So it goes back to, Okay, first and 10 within, maybe they were a big uh, naked team or play action. And maybe the first time or two, they didn't do that. So all of a sudden, it's kind of like you said, I'm playing anticipating defense too, then I'm going to bring pressure. You might zero in on bringing a, hitting a guy in the mouth off of a naked or something like that. You know, but those are just tendencies you'd feel. But I would start, and then I could communicate with the kids, though. You know, all of a sudden, hey, they're, they're running this play. It's a new scheme. They're running tackle trap or something like that, you know. Then we could draw that up. You know, it's a new play we haven't seen, but that's, you know, that's, I would just write it down, but then I would get a feel for the coordinator himself. And then the one thing I always try to do was be um, uh, unconventional on third down. What I mean by that, just, I didn't want to get into a, you know, people in a routine. I, I would bring pressures uh, from different angles and different, spots and I would play a variety of coverages, you know, and that's just what we did. I think that's what made us unique is that we were so versatile, you know, in the back, in the back end. Um, and that's kind of why we, you know, we were kind of, you know, I'll stand on the table when I, my time there as DBU, you know, <laughs> but uh, with all the people that we've had drafted and that yeah. type of success we had, but, but that also, you know, goes back to, um, you know, just being versatile in the back end and, and, but also very technique and fundamental driven, you know, we just try to disguise we, and, and just be very good that way and be able to, you know, we were able to have some guys up front that could pressure the quarterback or we create pressure and, and by bringing some. And, you know, like I said, good coverage made good rush and good rush made good coverage. So those things were interchangeable. Um, and, and then I, I it kind of, as an Ohio guy, I do have to ask, where did the, idea to how to attack Ohio State come from because I, I think anybody in Ohio can kind of remember that game and how you pretty much drastically alter their offense for that game where did the idea come for that um, and then how did that from a game plan perspective work for you yeah well you know we were planning on it being Braxton Miller you know uh, and then he got hurt and that was probably a good thing for us because the quarterback you know he he went on and had a great career, but that was really his, he got thrown into the fire. We were pretty good on defense that year, but, uh, you know, we ended up, um, we just felt like, you know, Ohio state was known as that spread offense, but they were also, they were on the football and we kind of, we, we'd kind of gotten away from the bear defense over the years, just because of, Oh, certain ways people attack you and, and that type of thing. We always used to move into it, stem in, in and out of it a little bit. So that, that kind of, I really like that and that, the ability to do that. But we just kind of wanted to, 
keep the ball in the quarterback's hands and keep him in a phone booth. You know, we want to get the ball off the perimeter with all the power reads and all that kind of stuff that they were doing. Um, you know, and so we loaded the box and uh, we basically played zero coverage on first and second down. And, and fortunately they, they didn't make any adjustments. You know, they, they had big splits. We had, we weren't as big as they were, but we had some great quickness and great guys some talented guys up front. Um, you know, we, we just, uh, but we kept the ball off the, off the perimeter and kept, kept it inside the box. And, uh, you know, and, and it just worked well. We got them behind the sticks and then we were able to be able to dial up some pressures. I think we had eight sacks in that game, if I remember. And it was just in, in three picks and it was just, it, it kind of was, it rolled a little bit, but I mean, obviously the next year they came to our place. You know, if I had gone back, um, I would have gone back and gone back to our base, what we did, because they wouldn't probably expected that. But, uh, you know, our staff, we just kind of got talked into, let's go do this. And we had a couple of young guys and kind of zeroed in on that a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, and then our quarterback got hurt and they, they kind of, we were up at halftime and they, they came on the second half and beat us. But, uh, you know, but that was, we just kind of hung our, put all of our eggs in one basket uh, Myself and then Tori and Gray. Tori and now is the uh, he is uh, he was at Florida. Was on our staff for uh, ten years and went to the NFL and was at Florida. And now he's at South Carolina. A really good secondary coach and great player for us. But he, um, you know, him and I really kind of zeroed in on this. And he had some great thoughts about because you had to you had to get your secondary involved or stop the run. And that meaning our safety, yeah. you know, we put our corners out there on an Island and, and we took the other nine guys and basically, you know, just stopped the run and, uh, had to get them, you know, wanted to take that out of him and, and then, uh, you know, make the quarterback beat us and, you know, in, in, uh, in the passing game. And at the time, luckily he was inexperienced enough that, uh, we were able to, uh, fluster him here a little, you know, here and there. I mean, he was, I had my concerns with him running the ball, but, you know, we really did a great job of, um, of great pressure with our front four as well as we, we dialed in some really good uh, blitz pressures as well. But uh, that's kind of the deal. We went bare and kind of just wanted to keep the ball off the perimeter and, and keep it in a phone booth, so to speak. And, you know, we tackled well and, and uh, got them behind the sticks and, um, you know, ended up pulling off a big, big upset. It, you know, it, it obviously it spurred them on. They went on to one national championship that year. But uh, <laughs> great football team, yeah. great program, and it was a great win for us. And, you know, and we had many of those in my time here, but that was a, that was one of the one of the ones I remember a lot because it was a, just a great football team and well-coached team and great staff and, you know, great win for us. Now, I kind of three things to kind of wrap up is, first, while you coached, did you have anything, especially like in the off season or the summer before you hit that full go grind of combination of recruiting and X's and O's and preparing for opponents to get away like hobbies or big trips or whatever? Yeah. You know, I've, I've got, I bought a place on, I've got, we've got a little lake uh, outside of Blacksburg. It's called Clater Lake. And, you know, I bought a place there 19 years ago and that was kind of my little, my little getaway when I first bought it, it didn't have any, uh, it didn't have a TV or, uh, that was when cell phones just kind of kicked in, you know, we didn't get very good cell phone, uh, uh, reception. And I'd go down there. We'd get about three weeks off in the summer. So I'd go down there 
we might get away for, you know, a week, one place, but we'd stay the other time uh, at the lake. And even though we were, it's about a 35, 40 minute drive, but it was being like 35 states away, you know, because yeah. without phone, without TV, um, you know, they could have assassinated the president and we wouldn't have known, you know? So that yeah. was kind of, I got into, I fished a little bit, even I'm not a big fisherman, but I do like to fish and it's a lot of work, a lot more than, you know, <laughs> you watch that bass masters on TV, all they show is catching fish. They don't show how many hours they, they, they don't catch fish, yeah. you know, but, uh, but I did get into this wake surfing. I really like that. That's something that, uh, okay. uh, we've gotten into and, and, uh, but I, I still have the place. I enjoy it down there, and, and my grandkids and kids uh, come down there and really and, and have it, you know, have fun with it. And uh, but that was kind of where, you know, I, um, you know, I got my release a little bit. I really did. You know, probably the biggest thing though, I will say this: that we did. I felt like we did as a staff. We did a. I think we always met with our players on a consistent basis, and it just wasn't. Uh, it was about a lot of things, you, you know, when guys would come around and visit us like high school coaches or college coaches, I mean, they were amazed how often our players came around to see us. I know when I played, sometimes that's the last place I wanted to go was go hang out with the coaches, you know, <laughs> uh, but our guys, we just had that kind of relationship and, but we spent a lot of time with them talking about a lot of things other than football, but that's kind of where it goes back to you know, guys, you know, they know you care about them and have their best interest at heart. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll run through the wall for you, but we did that. And, you know, we did a, we do always do a couple times a year and we sit down as a defensive staff and evaluate our guys individually as a group. We talk about every player, what's their strengths, what's their weakness, what's their asset, what's their liability. That's one thing, you know, we, over the years, we were always known for, you know, changing our guys, a big safety might end up being a linebacker because we always want to put speed on the field, but, you know, an end would move to tackle, whatever. But that's kind of what we did. We always really just really, really talked personnel a lot just because that's when it's all said and done, play with great effort and get the right people on the field, you know, and, and in the right spot, you know, and that's, uh, uh, you might find a linebacker that, you know, she's, he's a great football player, but he's got tunnel vision. You know? So, hey, that doesn't mean he's not going to be a good linebacker, but he, he might be a better defensive end. You know, so those are things that we kind of did with, I think that, you know, when I guys come and talk to us, and that's kind of why it goes back to, you know, why your kids play so hard is we really had good heart-to-heart -heart talks with our kids, and we didn't project them. This is where you are. And, you know, there's some guys, obviously, you tried to, uh, stroke them and that type of thing and show what their potential is. But they had to understand, understand you got to get there, you know, and then through their work and that type of stuff. But we really, I thought that's one thing that we always did as a staff that I thought was really, really good. Not, and everybody does that, but I think we really spent, we really spent a lot of detail going through each kid's strengths and weaknesses, both on the field ability wise, character-wise and, and things off the field, you know, like uh, how he is in the classroom and, in, in, you know, in the community and those kind of things. Because you want people on the field that you can depend on and trust and, you know, you don't want to be chased around and all that kind of stuff. Because those are the guys that are going to be – the dependable ones are going to be the ones that are going to, you know, play. Now, there's some of those guys that are raw and, you know, that are great players. You just got to kind of lasso them in. But that eventually will, you know, it's all said and done. But that's the one thing I thought that we did a great job. And, you know, we did that a lot right after spring ball and right after the season.
Okay. You know, so we we you know, so we had expectations for him to go into spring practice. We had expectations for him what to do the, over the summer to get better in their preparation for the fall. Now, and one of the last two things is when you look back at some of the offenses that gave you fits, did any of them have like a common trait um, of why they caused you some issues over the years? You know, we played so many. I think the ones that, to me, that um, were the best offenses we played, number one, if they had a system. You know what yeah. I mean? It's a team that came in and just ran their offense. We had a lot of teams, that, particularly back uh, in the day, um, you know, that were would change their whole offense. You know, it's like, oh, my God. I mean, that's where you, so you had to learn your – it's where you had to earn your stripes were, you know, by the adjustments and, and that type of thing. Um, but you know, we played so many, I had a, one of my former teammates ask, you know, reach out to me now that I'm, uh, stepped away from, you know, coaching, like who's the top five guys you, you played against, you know? And I was like, well, I can't say that. Let's talk about the top five guys at each position, you know? And I mean, with quarterback alone, we, we started off with Brett Favre and, you know, we had Peyton Manning, we had Matt Ryan, we played Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Donovan McNabb, Russell Wilson. I mean, those are guys that we played. Oh, and that's, that's just quarterback. And that goes back to you. you got Deion Sanders and, you know, guys like that. I mean, from my time there. So, it, you know, it zeroes in. But really, the, to go back offensively, I always thought back in the old Big East days when we played there, I thought Syracuse, particularly with, you know, with Donovan McNabb, but they still had that same offense. George Daly on. Leon was a great coordinator. Uh, Paul Pascaloni was the was the head coach there at the time, um, but they had a great system. They ran a little midline option. You know, they and they had a they had you know great quarterbacks. I mean, uh, uh, Don was just one of them. You know, they they had several in our time there, and it was either us, them, or Miami. You know that we're kind of in the hunt in West Virginia every now and again, BC every now and again. But uh, you know those were guys that uh, you know I thought Syracuse did as good a job as anybody. You know, and then when we you know Rich Rodriguez, he you know he was a guy that really kind of got that spread offense going. And you know he was at West Virginia and, and was at Clemson at a time too. And we played those guys and and uh, but. Um, you know, they had a system, and that was a thing. Uh, Dave Cutcliffe, who's at Duke and, and does a great job, and obviously his track record speaks for itself. He's a guy I have the utmost respect for as well. But, you know, those guys run their offense. They don't change. They might put a little ring here or there, you know, but it's not going to be uh, a wholesale change. I mean, not to, you know, our rivals UVA, and I've got a lot of respect for Al Groh, but, I mean, about three years in a row, he ran a whole different offense than what we saw, you know, the previous three or four weeks. But also by that same token, it's kind of what message are you sending to your players? You know, yeah. you, you tell your players, okay, hey, we just do what we do and we execute, we'll beat them. Uh, you know, I think if you come out and you do a lot of changing and do a lot of different things, a lot of new things because you feel like that's what you have to do to beat somebody, then I think deep down the message to your kids is, hey, we're not good enough. You know, and uh, and that's the one thing we just, you know, when we when we did our preparation in fall camp, our first couple of weeks, we were preparing for a season. It wasn't the first game, you know, so our installation was we're preparing for a season. So if we have to make an adjustment six weeks down the road, 
we've already probably seen, you know, ran this defense that I need to, that I want to make the adjustment to, or the scheme or the technique that they'll need to play or something. And we're going to, that type of thing. But, you know, I, I'd say, you know, I always had the utmost respect. I thought Donovan McNabb and that group that they did, they were just so versatile um, and so athletic. And, you know, I thought they were, and with the option game, the midline game, and then a, a pro style, you know, they were probably the hardest one. And besides then the quarterback being a, a threat to run and throw, he was one of the early kind of dual threat guys that we played that, uh, you know, just was a dynamic football player. And then the last question I, I'm going to ask you, just in part because I'm a Metallica fan, um, what that at, adding Ender to the Sandman to y'all's entrance, what did that help for your overall team culture while you were there? Yeah, you know, that became pretty, that was pretty cool, man. When that thing, when they, I don't even know when that story, how many years we've been doing it. I really don't know, you know, you, but uh, I've, I've always been on the field. I, you know, a couple of years ago, this what kind of drove me out of business here recently was, you know, I had a heart episode and kind of scared me and scared everybody. And, and I coached the last few games of the season in uh, 2018 from the press box. Yeah. And uh, that was my, uh, that was the first time I was, hang on, excuse me, we've got the dogs barking in the background. Coach. But that was the first time uh, um, I was able to see it from out because I was always in the tunnel we got a tunnel that comes out you know onto the field and you can hear it and the crowd's jumping and it's I mean it makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck you you know you're so excited but I was able to see it and and it was just such a cool experience and such a cool um, visual and I could just you know it was a it was a thrill to run on the field and I can only imagine with those with those guys playing the adrenaline and things that they have but it's, it's, it's such a cool uh, entrance, such a cool song, you know, and uh, I'm, I appreciate that Metallica's embraced that and embraced that with us. And, uh, you know, it's a, one of the great entrances in, in all of college football and all the sports, in, in my opinion. Uh, well, coaches, that was another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast with Coach Foster. Um, please, uh, his, his Twitter will be down below uh, so you can follow him there. Um, and then as normal, all the tags. So if there's any specific portion you want to watch of this or listen to this, depending on how you're viewing this, um, you can click on and, and go back there. Uh, thank you again, coaches. And this was another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast.